Good evening, good evening. Uh, we'll wait for a couple more people to hop on here for our Wednesday evening Bible study service. It's, um, I'm not sure where you're at, but in our neck of the woods, it is uh, raining like cats and like dogs. And uh, But nevertheless, we're praying that the Lord just rain inside of here uh, in even a greater way than what, than what it's raining outside in the physical. But Nevertheless, so it's Wednesday evening and it's 7 p.m., so uh, this is our weekly uh, Bible study that we have, and we hope that each and every one of you are doing good. For those of you that have hopped on, um, share this so that the Word can go forth, and uh, so for those that can possibly watch even now uh, or uh, watch later uh, when they hop on and see it. So I uh, just want to go ahead and make a couple announcements of... Um, a couple of announcements, sorry, a couple of announcements uh, for the church. Remember our Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m. and our Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. And uh, remember to come out to be a part of that. The doors are open, and so we want you to come and to be a part of it. Uh, also, our Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Uh, as far as the way of announcements, we've made these announcements known, but we're going to continue to make them known. Uh, remember our Vacation Bible School. Uh, that is coming up in July, uh, July 24th, 25th, and 26th. Uh, I know that seems like it's far away uh, off, but it will be here before you know it. But we are planning uh, lots of activities, crafts, uh, and most importantly, the worship and the word for our children. Um, and so uh, it's for all age groups. So it don't matter if they're one-year-old, two-year-old, on up to 12, 13, 14, bring them out. And I promise you that they will be thoroughly uh, informed and, and uh, poured into, uh, most importantly, the Word, but also we will have things on their level and crafts, fun, things for them to be imparting. Uh, the times that will be coming about of this, uh, we will announce a little bit later, but plan on it July 24th, 25th, and 26th. So with that being said, if you're interested, you go to this church and you want to be a part of that and volunteer to see us, so we will definitely put you to work and put you to use. And so uh, just let us know about it. Also remember our men's and women's meeting. Um, and we want to make this open to everybody. E even though you may have never attended here, we want you to come and, and, and feel uh, welcome here. But we will do that on the last Thursday of the month of June as well as July. I'm not sure the, what the actual date is off at the top of my head, uh, but it will always be the last Thursday of the month. But at 7 p.m., the men and women of the church will come together for a time of fellowship, and then we will break off uh, for men and for women. We'll be separate, and uh, we'll have our time of teaching uh, for that. So this is a good time to get to know one another in fellowship, but also the Word is being poured into, which is what's most important. Amen. And so we just want to make that known to you. So there's a lot of things here uh, that you can get... Uh, involved in and so um, make yourselves available for it and uh, and of course you may have not been to the church yet and you've been thinking about coming we want to encourage you to come on and to take that step of faith and to come over and be a part of what the Lord is doing here and we guarantee you that you will not uh, be disappointed so we see that some more of you have jumped online uh, tonight share the word as we get into uh, our service and we are thankful that you have uh, joined in with us online tonight uh, before we get into the word we're going to pray uh, I said it last night online uh, that we have had a lot of requests to come in over the last couple of uh, days, uh, even more so today, and know that we are praying for every one of those needs. I know that there are some people that are having to uh, go to the doctors uh, even this Friday, awaiting some test results that uh, are very crucial, but know uh, that the Lord is still the healer and that he is still in control and that he is still able to do the impossible if we can just dare to believe him. Of course, most importantly, we need to remember again our country. And the day and hour that we're living in, our president, our government officials, and that we just continue to seek the Lord and, uh, and that whatever this is, this virus, if you will, that the Lord would bring an end to it and, uh, and would heal those that are affected by whether they're saved or not saved because we know the Lord is able to do it. And we just believe in that from all of this is going to come a great outpouring of his Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. And I'm encouraged by it. And I know that it maybe doesn't look like it, but God is just getting ready to move in ways like we've never seen before. And so we see it and believe it by faith. Amen. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. And uh, we thank you for those of you that are hopping on and watching. And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, pray for the needs, and pray for the Bible study tonight. 
and then we'll get into the lesson. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, so thankful, so privileged, Lord, for the wonderful opportunity to come into your presence. God, we're so thankful that we get to step into the throne room of grace tonight, Lord. God, thanking you first and foremost for your Son, Jesus, Lord, who bled and died 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross so that tonight, Lord, we could stand here, Lord, and come to you, Lord, so that we could gather together, Lord, in one mind and in one body and one accord and, and in one spirit, Lord God, knowing that it is your blood, Lord, that has made it all possible. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that everything that we stand in need of tonight, Lord, you have already purchased, Lord, with your precious blood. Lord, we first of all bring our lost family members, Lord, those of this community, Lord, those far and wide, Lord, we bring them before you, God, and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go to them even now, Lord, and God, that you would convict their heart of their sins. Lord, there's nothing more important, Lord, than the preaching of your word and the convicting power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we just ask that, Lord, it would just come down in great waves and lengths, Lord, now more than ever before, Lord, and would draw the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, now more than ever before, Lord, because we know that you are soon to return. We know that, Lord, you are soon to appear, God, and Lord, you're calling us, Lord, to be ready. And God, I pray, Lord, that as that trumpet is soon to sound, Lord, that the trumpet and, and would, would sound within us, that we would sound the alarm, Lord, and that we would tell others about you, Lord, and to get ready. God, it's time for us to open our mouths. It's time for us, Lord, to, to be that voice, Lord, that you have called us to be, Lord, and to say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. God, we're praying and asking, Lord, that you would give us an anointing, a boldness, Lord, like never before in these last days, God, uh, to, to, to be your mouthpiece, to be that witness, Lord, for you. God, we bring those needs before you, Lord, and you know what they are upon the hearts of each and every one of your people. God, there are many that are suffering pain and afflictions in their body, but God, we still know that you are the healer. God, we still know, Lord, that you are able to move mountains. Lord, we know that you are still able to open up the Red Sea. Lord, we know that you're still able to open up blinded eyes, unclogged deaf ears. God, you're still able. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, right now, Lord, your people need to be reminded of that, Lord. Right now, you want your people to be reminded that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And what you've done then, Lord, what you did yesterday, you're able to do today, Lord, and far greater and exceedingly and abundantly above that which we can ask or thank God. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, let us lift our head up, Lord, and begin to believe you, Lord, for what it is that we need and to believe, God, that you've already paid the price, Lord, to be able to give it to us. Lord, for those that are awaiting testimony, results. Lord, we just ask that, God, you would move, Lord, upon them. Lord, we're believing for those that are going to go to the doctor, God. Lord, we're believing that they're going to hear news that they wasn't expected to hear, Lord. That, God, that they would be healed. That, Lord, the mass that, that was there upon their kidneys, Lord, God, is not going to be seen, Lord, that they're going to say there's nothing there. Lord, we know, God, that you're able, God. And that's why we can believe you for it because, Lord, what is impossible with man, all things are possible with you, Lord. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to touch our country. Lord, that you would send healing throughout this land. Lord, of this virus, God, that you would bring an end to this thing in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that in these last days as we are living in, God, we are believing you for the greatest outpouring of your Holy Spirit to date. God, I am believing you, Lord, for a harvest of souls. I'm believing you, Lord, for the greatest outpouring that this world has ever seen, Lord. And we know that we're just on the brink of it. We know that we're just on the edge of seeing it. So God, help us not to lose heart, Lord, not to grow weary, Lord, but God, to continue to go strong, Lord, and to believe you. Lord, we thank you for the word tonight that you've laid upon our heart to teach. God, we ask, Lord, for the anointing of your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, the true teacher, the true preacher to come forth tonight, Lord. Lord, to make your word known to our lives, Lord, to our hearts. Lord, I pray that for this time of those watching by the way of internet, those that are joining here in the sanctuary, Lord, let us lay aside every hindrance and distraction. Lord, let us give our heart over to you tonight, Lord, to hear what you've got to say, and Lord, and that, that we would just be increased in knowledge, and Lord, good fruit would come forth from it all. And Father, we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. So, over the last couple of weeks, several weeks actually, we spent five weeks talking uh, about the sin nature and making it known, as I felt that that's what the Lord would have us to get into. Uh, because so many people do not understand 
understand even what the sin nature means. They've never even heard of the sin nature. Uh, and so we spent five weeks on it coming out of justification by faith. But I want to start tonight over victory over sin. And we're going to spend several weeks in it as this is something that the heart's cry of a child of God desires victory over sin in their oh, life. Yeah. There is no true born-again believer that desires to be in bondage to sin. And if we get honest with ourselves, much of the church, much of the church, as we find that even the Apostle Paul was in, if you read Romans chapter 7, is bound by some form or bondage of sin. And it doesn't have to be this big sin that we may think of. It, this, this comes in various ways, uh, whether it be anxiety, whether it be fear, whether it be gossip, whether it be uncontrollable temper, whatever it is, there's a million things that it can be, but that the Satan desires to hold God's children in bondage to, and they are trying to obtain victory. They are trying to do something, if you will, to get victory over the things in their life that are bothering them. Because they don't understand that victory has already been won for them at Calvary. And there's much teaching that goes out and about today. If you want victory over sin, if you want victory over this problem, do this. Okay, this don't work, well then do that. And we've got all kinds of ideas and it's got plumb crazy, if you will, of how to obtain victory over something. And we're taking God's people away from the finished work of Calvary and we're pointing them to themselves and saying, this is how you get victory. When all in the wild, victory, if you're saved, is already yours. And so we're going to get in that tonight and not sure how many weeks we'll spend into it as however the Lord leads, but we'll start with it tonight. So reading Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, Paul would say, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So we've dealt with the topic again of the sin nature over the last uh, five weeks. And in chapter five of the book of Romans, uh, Paul again makes it known to us and aware to us of the introduction of the sin nature and where the sin nature come about and exactly what the sin nature is. And I won't go into great detail about it because we've already discussed it. But we know that the sin nature was introduced into the world by the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Amen. And we also know that the sin nature is inside of each and every single one of us, whether believer or whether not believer. But the only difference between the non-believer and the believer is that the sin nature in the born-again Christian is no longer ruling and reigning. It is no longer supposed to be in control. Uh, that inner bent to do it for the evil impulses has been stripped away the moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ. Amen? But so there's only one cure we know for the sinner man. Uh, I was listening to something today and there was a, a killing that had taken place and there is the, the, the terminology and the, the phraseology of racism running rampant in the country today. And, and the question was proposed by one person on TV uh, that said, why is it that we're still facing this problem today? And we've got to have more discussion today. We need to talk about this problem. We need to come up with new ways to end this problem. And all in the while I'm screaming back at the TV, there's not many different solutions. That's the problem now. We are solutioned up. You know, we, we've come up with everything. We've talked about everything and nothing has changed because the only answer for sin, the answer for the racism problem, the answer for any problem is the cross of Christ. And it only comes forth and by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need more of. We don't need seminars. We don't need programs. We don't need fads. We don't need more psychology. We don't need more groups. Of that. We need the preaching of the gospel Amen. of Jesus Christ because that's what sets man free. That's the cure to the sin problem. Amen. That's what saves man from their sin. But we, I preached a message, uh, I think when we first opened up the church on a Sunday night, entitled it The Double Cure. Because the cross is not only the cure for our sin problem as far as the penalty of sin that saves us from hell, but the cross is also the cure that saves us from the power of sin now 
now that we are Christians living for the Lord. So the cross is the double cure, amen? It's the cure for the unsaved man, and it's also the cure for the saved man, amen? God did not save us in sin. He saved us from sin. But for far too long, we, the church, have viewed the cross as nothing more but for salvation. We thank him for salvation. We thank him for what he's done, but we don't view the cross relative to sanctification, we don't look at the cross as the answer to our problem now that we're saved and for our struggle with sin. Let me tell you something. If we are struggling with sin, it is because we have an improper faith. Our faith is not solely anchored in where it ought to be. The struggle's over. When he cried, it is finished. He meant what he said. It's finished. It's done. You don't have to struggle with sin anymore. You don't have to struggle with bondage anymore. You've been set free at Calvary. But the reason why believers are struggling with sin in their life and they're trying to overcome it within themselves is because their faith is not solely anchored in Christ and what he's done. You see, they're not looking solely to what he's already done. They're looking to themselves. They look to him for salvation, for justification, but they don't look to him for sanctification. And instead, they're looking to themselves. Because we think that we can clean ourselves up. And we think that we're supposed to clean ourselves up. We think that we have to pay homage to God, if you will. We have to honor him by getting rid of the problem. And we don't understand that, number one, we can't rid ourselves of any problem. And secondly, he's already rid us of the sin nature. He's already rid us of the problem. Now, that doesn't mean we preach sinless perfection because nobody is sinless. Amen? None of us are perfect. We've all got room for improvement. But there's a difference between failure and being in bondage to sin. There's a huge difference. There's a difference in messing up and failing the Lord, in which we all do, than being in that constant bondage to sin each and every single day. It's not God's will. The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. But let it be known tonight, and it's true, that the far more majority of the church is underneath the dominion of the sin nature. Talking about believers that love the Lord, many of them even spirit-filled, and the reason why they're in bondage is because they're trying to rid themselves of sin. They're trying to conquer sin. They're trying to do something that's already been done. See, we got to understand that the battle has already been fought and won. We're trying to get out and fight a battle that Jesus has already fought. We're trying to fight a defeated enemy. We're trying to defy a, a, a dead devil, if you will, so to speak, that's been rendered powerless. He's alive and well today, and he's trying to wreak havoc, but the Lord has already defeated him. And Colossians chapter 2 said he's made an open show of him, triumphing. Listen, when he said triumphing, that means I've already conquered, I've already done it, but we're trying to conquer something that's already been conquered. And let's just be real, we've all tried it, and many of us are there tonight. I've got this problem, and I'm trying to defeat it myself. And the Lord's saying, wait a minute, I've already done it for you. Why are you fighting something? The only fight I've called you to fight is the good fight of faith. We're trying to conquer sin. We're trying to fight the enemy ourselves. We're trying to fight the devil ourselves. We're trying to defeat this all within our power. And he's telling us, hey, the only fight that I've called you to fight is the good fight of faith. And it's a good fight because you're believing in something that's, that's wonderful. I want you to trust me. I want you to continue to believe in what I've done. And it is a good fight because Satan, listen here, the, my Lord has already defeated you. And in Christ... In Christ, in Christ Jesus, not on my own, but in Christ, hey, I'm already more than a conqueror. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, amen. I've already been made more than an overcomer, amen. So again, Paul goes into great detail of establishing the origination of the sin nature. And he lets us know here in chapter 6 that it is impossible for one to remain in sin who has been saved and set free from it. So when the question was asked in chapter 6, the beginning verse, and it really runs in line with the ending of chapter 5, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. In fact, it's impossible. You died who was ruled by the same nature when you came to Jesus Christ, you died. So it's impossible for a dead man, 
They said possible for the same nature that had control over dead man to now have control over the new man. Because, see, your birth in Christ Jesus, you've got his perfect birth, you've got his perfect life. It's impossible for the sin nature to rule and to reign and to be in control of that new person, that sin, Christ Jesus. That means the desire is stripped away. That's the reason why you don't have the desire to do the things that you one time did because you're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have passed away. All things are new. Amen. And so now uh, he is reigning. The divine nature reigns inside of you instead of the sin nature. Well, what does reign mean? R-E-I-G-N. That means to, to hold office, to rule as a king. So you've got the Holy Spirit now that you've been saved that is inside of you ruling as a king in control there upon the monarch beckoning out orders, good orders if you will, producing holiness, producing righteousness, producing good fruit from you. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing you. You're just the vessel that said, Lord, come on in, have your way inside of me. And he's the one who's changed your walk, changed your talk, doing all of these things. It ain't you. We're just the branch. He's the vine. We're the branch. I've said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. Apart from him, you can't do nothing. The branch just bears the fruit. But the fruit is produced by the vine. No branch produces the fruit. It's the vine that does it because of the roots that are down in the ground. Amen. We're just the branch and extension of Jesus Christ. Amen. One body made up of many members. He's the head of it. Amen. We're all part of one body, okay? So now that we live in the dispensation of grace in present day, it's because of Christ's finished work. And all we are to do is rest. Rest in what he has done and exhibit faith in it so that his grace can flow in our hearts and lives. And I wrote this down that failure to rest, failure to rest in what he's done will cause defeat and will cause weakness. Rest brings rejuvenation. It's just like your physical man. You can't go but so long without rest for your physical body. Because if you do, you begin to get delirious and you're thinking. You grow so tired. Some people giggle and don't even know why they're giggling. They don't even know what they're doing. They can't even think right. And see, in our spirit, man, if we don't stay, if we don't continue to rest, we're going to be defeated and we're going to grow weak. We've got to rest in what he has done and believe that he's already accomplished it. Listen, when we say there's nothing that nobody else has to do anymore, people take that out of context and they get it all twisted up thinking that we're we're not supposed to do any of it. Listen, you're going to do good works, but your good works is not trying to obtain something. The good works is because you've got something. Right. You're not trying to obtain something with your good works. Your good works is because you've got something, and that something is Jesus Christ. Amen? And the good works is good fruit that is coming forth. Lord, I'm doing this because I love you, because of what you've done. And really, it ain't you doing it. It's the desire come from the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. You can't even produce the desire to work for the Lord unless the desire was given to you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we find here again, Paul says, God forbid to remain in connection to the sin nature that as we were before. So I want to say this, Christ has liberated us from the sin nature and its control over our life. So what do I mean by liberation? We've heard the word liberation. We've heard of how the armies go in and they liberate people, if you will. But liberation is setting someone free from imprisonment and slavery to release them. So it's the same as someone serving a life sentence in prison bars, but now has been liberated, if you will, from that prison bar and then is now set free and said, now you can go live a life of freedom. You see, that's what Christ did for you and I. He liberated our soul from the possession, from the control of the sin nature. He liberated us. We were behind bars. We were controlled. We were locked in. And he liberated us. He opened up the prison bars and said, hey, you're free now. Go. You don't have to do community service. You ain't on probation. You ain't got to prove yourself and check in. You are free. Go. It's done and it's over with. 
Well, what about the sentence for my crimes? I've already paid the price for you through my death at Calvary. You deserve the life sentence. You deserve death. You deserve execution. But I went in and stepped inside of your place. I took your place so that now you don't have to. I set you free, and you're free to go. And guess what? Your record is clear today as if never having seen before. A lot of people now, when you get out of jail, even though they're set free, it's still up on their record of what they've done. But when he sets you free, when he sets you free, he opened the prison bars, said, go free. That meant death. You don't have to suffer. That meant no more. You on probation. And guess what? If you was to look up your record, they would find that it's clear. It's clean as I've never having committed one crime ever before. That's what he does. As that old song from the red by him, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. They're gone today, amen. He don't remember them. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, he sets you free. They're up underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we stand justified by our faith, amen. So Christ gave us liberty, not a license. And there's the difference because many people think that God's grace is a license to continue in relationship to the sin nature. And Paul here said it is mechanically impossible. It's like oil and water. It don't mix. It is impossible to be truly born again. It's impossible to truly be saved. It's impossible to be truly a new creature in Christ Jesus and still maintain that same relationship with the sin nature as before. It's impossible because you've now got the spirit of life living inside of you that hates sin. The true born-again believer hates sin. That's the difference when a person, you can take two people and they're doing the same thing. But listen, that one is saved. They love the Lord, but they hate their sin. They hate what they're struggling with. But then you take another person and they love it. The difference is the heart. Because the heart of a born-again believer is made new. They hate sin. Why? Christ hates sin. Amen? And because you possess Christ, you possess his nature, you also possess that. And you will desire and, and you'll hate sin as he hates sin. The born-again believer that stands up for the world system and what they advocate and therefore is not born again. You can't stand up and say abortion's right and you advocate it and say you love the Lord. Impossible. You can't stand up for transgenderism, homosexuality, same-sex marriage. And we're, listen, we're not trying to just pinpoint these people out. God hates all sin, but you can't advocate that stuff and say you're for it and say you love the Lord. Because if you love the Lord and you've truly accepted him, you're going to hate those acts of sin. Just like you're going to hate lying and stealing and cheating and gossiping. You're going to hate backbiting. You're going to hate the temper problem. You're going to hate all of those things. Amen. So he gives us liberty. He gives us liberty to live a life free from the rule and the reign of the sin nature. So the liberating work on the part of Christ has guaranteed my freedom as well as gave me a new life. So Paul addressed this silly notion and erroneous way of thinking that one can continue in the same relationship with the sin nature before convergence. So we see here. Paul has said, how shall we, and talking about the believers who've experienced this grace and been liberated, who are dead to sin. Now let me say this, and then I'll move on to verse 3. He said, how shall we who are dead to sin? Listen, the sin nature is alive. Yes. Yeah. If you don't believe me, let somebody pull out in front of you on the road, and you'll find out how alive it really is. <laughs> and that it tries to mount upon that throne. The sin nature is alive. But Paul here is saying, we, we who are dead to sin. The sin nature is not dead, but we are dead to the sin nature. How? By baptism into Christ. We're dead to it. It no longer has control over you and I. It had control over the old man. The sin nature does not have control over the new man. The divine nature has control over the new man, amen? So again, it's, it's alive, but we are dead to it, all right? So we will not be living anymore with the same relationship to it as before because that relationship has been severed and a new one has been formed, and that relationship is between you and Christ. Amen. So moving on to verse 3, we find Paul referring to us as believers who have been buried with him by baptism into death. Now, I want to make a comment because... If we're not careful, 
We can take scriptures in the, in the word of God, and if we get it out of context, we will mess up the whole meaning of it. In verse 3, when it talks about baptism into Jesus Christ, that verse has been attributed to water baptism. And the reason why I'm bringing it up, because especially in the Pentecostal movement, and I've heard it online many times, that they feel like if you get dunked in the water, you can leave your problems behind in the water, and you come up clean, that you left some things in the water. Let me tell you something. Water and soap won't rid you of sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul here is not talking about water baptism. That doesn't mean that we demean water baptism. When Jesus did it, we believe it should be done too. But it has nothing to do whatsoever. Not one percent, not one iota. Number one with salvation and number two for victory over sin. And many people, especially in Pentecostal churches, now believe it's a new thing that's around. It's closer to home than what you realize. Believe that if you if you got problems, just get baptized. Get water baptized again and leave some things in the water and come up clean. And it won't work. It won't work. Get dunked in every creek around here. Get dunked in every lake, every pond, and know every fish by its first name. And the struggle is still going to be there if your faith is in that because it, that's not what sets you free. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is what has set us free from the control, the rule of the sin nature. Amen. So again, if we get this wrong, then we're going to miss the whole understanding of what Paul is talking about in baptism into Christ. All right. So again, water baptism is not essential, not a requirement for salvation. All right. So Paul would have emphasized water over the blood. In fact, if you read the epistles and that Paul read 14 of them, you will see that he's constantly talking about in Christ, through Christ. Because of Jesus, all of this was he was attributing and would always referencing back to the person of Christ and what he did. See, listen, when he talks about in Christ, he's talking about what took place at Calvary. So Paul would have never emphasized water baptism here in chapter 6 over the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit would have not have had him to talk about that. The Holy Spirit comes to do what? Point us back to Christ. To talk about him of what he's done. Not what we could do as far as water baptism and trying to deliver ourselves of something that we've already been delivered of at Calvary. Alright? So again, when Paul is saying, do you not know? So when he says here, know you not. Hey, do you not no, have you forgotten? And how many of us as believers, we have forgotten of what truly took place as salvation? We've forgotten that we were baptized into his death, or maybe it's never even been taught that way. Because I know that one person told me that they didn't know that this was what it was about. They've been listening to the Bible studies on Wednesdays, and they said that they thought that chapter 6 was always referencing to law, never understanding that we were baptized into his death and what that really represented. They thought it was about either water baptism or by law, but it's not, all right? So he's saying, have you forgotten that us that were baptized into Christ was baptized into his death? See, this is the beginning of understanding of victory. You got a problem with sin? Right here, verse 3 is your answer. It's the solution. Have you forgotten? You're being controlled. You've got a bondage with sin. You've got a problem with sin. You can't get victory over it. You've tried to defeat it all on your own. Verse 3. Hey, wait a minute. Have you forgotten what took place? Do you not remember? Have you forgotten? Paul here saying you were baptized into his death. That's why we can't leave the cross. Because the moment that we leave the cross, we lose our abundant life. Abundant life is walking in victory. Abundant life is realizing that everything that, he's, that we need, he's already provided. Walking around with that peace like that, that, that only he can give. And let me tell you, there are so many believers that are not walking with that peace that he's died to give. And they're miserable. Because they're living underneath the domination of the sin nature. They're living underneath that bondage that they don't want to be in. And the reason why is because they forgot. They've moved their faith away from Christ and what he's done. They're not looking to him each and every single day. They're not focusing in on the cross. Every day you get up, thank you, Jesus, I'm alive. I thank you for what you did for me at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Lord, everything I need is in you. I can't do this, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to face today. 
today, but you do. But I know I don't possess the power to, number one, even live for you, right? Number two, to face this on my own. So I'm needing you to work in me, to live in me. Lord, I'm denying myself that I've got no strength and ability. Lord, it's all in you, so come and do what only you can do. And let me tell you something. When you place your faith in Christ and what he's done, you are guaranteed 110% of the help of the Holy Spirit. Because it's him where your power and source of strength comes from. Your willpower will never defeat sin. If you don't believe me, read chapter 7. Paul said the will was to do right was there, but I didn't find it. I couldn't do it. Your willpower is not stronger than the powers of darkness. But the powers of darkness only answer and succumb to the power of Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. They're not greater than Jesus' blood. They're greater than your willpower. You can say, I ain't going to do this all the time. Listen, if we get honest with ourselves, how many of us, we may be there now, or we have one time been there, we fail the Lord, we repent, we say, I'm not going to do this anymore, Lord. I promise you I'm not going to do it anymore. And our intentions is not to do it. And then guess what? Tomorrow, we fail the Lord again. Or maybe we went a whole week and we fail the Lord. But even in that week, the desire was still Therefore, why in the world am I desiring this when I don't want to do it? It's because our faith is not in Christ and what he's done. We're trying to get victory by the means of flesh and not leaning upon the arm of Jesus. And let me tell you something. You won't defeat any power of darkness by the means of flesh. I've used, I've, I've said it before. You go back to Exodus, I believe, chapter 17. After after um, the Israelites were set free, this great freedom from Egypt, we see that Rephidim, they came to Rephidim, and the Amalekites were there ready to fight. And the Amalekites is a type of the flesh. And he told Moses to go like that and to fight them, but he, he told him how to do it. He was the number one sit upon the rock. And the rock is a type of Christ, amen? He grew tired. His arms were supposed to stay up. And as long as the arms stayed up, his hands stayed up, the Israelites couldn't be defeated. Amalekites were defeated. But the moment that his hands began to grow weary, guess what? The Amalekites prevailed. Meaning the flesh was prevailing. The flesh was winning. So what did he do? He called Aaron and he called her to come alongside of Moses. Said, hey Aaron, you hold up this arm. Her, you hold up this arm. Because Moses can't hold up his arms. Listen, there's no strength. A person physically cannot hold their arms up for so long without growing tired. And eventually they're going to come down. So he brought Aaron and her alongside of Moses and said, hey, let me hold your hands up because you can't do it. Showing us that we can't do it. Aaron was the high priest. Jesus is our great high priest that has come alongside. We've got the great high priest holding our arm up. Her was a type of the light, the Holy Spirit. So you've got the great high priest holding your arm up. You've got the Holy Spirit holding you up. And you're sitting upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And as long as you're surrendering and depending upon them, then you are assured victory, victorious living each and every single day. But guess what? The moment your hands come down, it's because I can't, I'm going to begin to start reaching for weapons of my own choice. But when your hands are up, it's a sign of surrender. Meaning even though I see the enemy, I'm not relying upon anything that I can do. I'm relying solely upon you, Lord. And that's the way that we got to be. As Moses was, sitting upon the rock, sitting upon what Christ has done for us, and depending solely upon his finished work. And when we're depending upon him, you've got the help of the Holy Spirit too. You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You've got them there helping you to walk in victory. But see, so many of us are trying to bring our hands down and reach for weapons. And when we do, we see the flesh prevailing. We see the flesh reigning and having victory instead of us having victory over the flesh. Amen. All right. So then, so he says, uh, it's not about water. So have you forgotten? Have you forgotten about what was done? So when the Holy Spirit wants us to know and make us aware of is that when we got saved, when we got born again, we were placed into his death on Calvary that took place 2,000 years ago. So every time that a sinner comes to Jesus, when you came to Jesus, when you said yes to him and what he did, the Holy Spirit placed you. 
and by baptism into his death. And now I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Baptism, as by water, we know is total immersion up underneath the water. So when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit took you, the sinner, and immersed you, placed you into the death of Calvary, meaning the old man died with Christ Jesus. And then the old man was buried there in the tomb. But guess what? The, when Jesus resurrected on the third day, you didn't come forth as an old man, as a patch job. You came forth as a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old man is still in the tomb. The old man didn't come up patched up. I said it before when I was younger and we would uh, playing around in our good clothes and we would wear holes in our jeans and my mama couldn't afford, mom and dad couldn't afford to get us new jeans and so my mom would buy them dollar, two dollar patches and would iron over them. I'd be so embarrassed, you know, because they would be different colors. But it was trying to form back what was torn. Listen, you're not a patch job. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Christ acts as our representative man, and he's endured for us what we should have received, which is death. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all made to drink into one spirit. So again, we see here we've been baptized into Christ. Christ into one body, that's the body of Christ, by what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who took you and baptized you into Christ, and that is the born-again experience. So that's why we say that the old man is dead. So Paul here is saying, hey, have you forgotten? You were placed into his death at Calvary. The old man has died. You come forth as a new creature in Christ Jesus that is now ruled and reigned and possessed and controlled by the Holy Spirit, meaning that now your problem with sin is over. It's over. The struggle's done. It's gone. Well, then why do I still have these evil impulses? Why do I still have these desires? Why am I still then falling? Listen, the reason why I said the Bible doesn't preach sinless perfection is because the sin nature is still there. But the difference is it's not ruling and reigning. It's not in control. Now you don't have to obey the sin nature. You know, we get tempted, right? We're going to, we get tempted. The evil one comes by and he tempts us and wants us to do things. But guess what? You don't have to listen. You don't have to yield to the sin nature. You know why? Because he's not in control anymore. That relationship was severed. He's going to try to do everything that he can to mount the throne again. But instead of you saying no to it, you can look and say, I don't have to listen to you. I listen now to the divine nature. I listen to the Holy Spirit. And I say yes to what Christ has did for me at Calvary. I don't have to yield control anymore because I've been set free. So you were once enslaved by the sin nature. You had no control but to listen to that inner vent. But now you've been set free and you don't have to listen to it. Amen. All right. So this all had to be because God demands and requires total and complete righteousness in order to have relationship. You see, you and I can never produce this because we were guilty. And so the righteousness which was demanded and to have relationship meant that you had to embrace Jesus. And to embrace him means I have to embrace the cross of Christ. Listen, that is why we preach the cross. That Paul here is saying embrace the cross. Embrace Christ. Embrace what he has done for you because this is where your answer is. This is where your victory is. If we don't embrace the cross, then what are you embracing? You're going to be embracing self. Think self can do it. And guess what? If you embrace self, you're going to have defeat. You're going to have failure. You've got to embrace the cross. You've got to stay there at the cross. You got saved at the cross. You was brought in by the cross. Don't leave the cross. It's so simple because when you leave the cross where there's liberty, where Satan was defeated. Listen, if you stay in the cross, Satan was defeated at the cross. So you're guaranteed abundant life and freedom and victory over the devil, the world, and the flesh. Where? At the cross. But the moment you start placing your faith somewhere else, the moment you begin to look to yourself, which is the only other place you can look other than at Christ, then guess what? You're not going to have victory. I don't care who you are. You can try every fasting program. You can try to uh, come up with every ideology that you want to, to try to obtain victory. You name it. I've just about done it before. We've all been there. 
You can sit and memorize verses, memorize chapters, memorize books of the Bible. You can know it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, every word verbatim, but still be living underneath the domination of sin nature. Because your victory is not in that. Your victory is in what he has done. And we've got to realize, and Paul here said, you were made victorious at the cross. When you got saved, you were already victorious because you're placed in Christ. Do we not believe that Jesus never sinned? Do we not believe that he was victorious? Well, in Christ, you've got that same position. You're victorious, but in Christ Jesus. So we're not fighting for victory. We should be fighting from a place of victory. If a believer is trying to fight for victory, then that tells me they don't understand what took place at Calvary. That don't mean I'm, demo I'm beating them down. They don't understand. Your victory was won for you at Calvary. So if you're out trying to get victory over sin, you got a problem in your right life, and you're saying, well, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to witness more. I'm going to memorize more. Even on to the point now to where many preachers have taught you feel that urge to sin? Get down and do 10 push-ups and you'll have victory. Get down and do 25 sit-ups and that urge will go away. Well, I guess it will because I'd be sore in my stomach if I did 25 sit-ups. But guess what? It's going to come right back. Because he sets you free at Calvary. He even will take the desire. Well, listen, there, you may not have done it for a while, but the desire can be so within you to want to do it. And the reason why it's like that is because you not truly nailed it at the cross. You're trying to defeat it. Place your faith in Christ the way it's done. You may say, well, Wayne, I'm doing that. And I'm still fighting defeat. And the reason why a lot of that is happening is because we have been so religioned. We have been poured into works, 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 that we can't get rid of that mentality overnight. From my own experience, when beginning to understand and learn the message of the cross and beginning to apply it, because that's the beginning of wisdom, when you apply truth to your life. That's wisdom. You can have knowledge and know it all, but until you begin to apply it, you're not really operating in wisdom. Wisdom is applying what you are learning, truth, applying it to your life. And as I began to apply, I still had times of failure. But the difference was I didn't go right back into self saying, all right, this didn't work. Let me try something else. No, what I done was I kept the faith. What I done was that even though I know I failed, Lord, you told me in your word that you would forgive me no matter how many times I fall is how many times I get back up. So, Lord, I'm asking for forgiveness and I'm still believing that my victory was won. And guess what? Because I didn't quit, victory finally came my way. Because the Holy Spirit had to get me there. Because again, you don't get rid of religion overnight. You don't get rid of that mindset overnight because you hear one message and think it don't. And listen, Satan knows now that you know the answer. So again, how many times did Moses have to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Pharaoh didn't release God's people the first time Moses said, let them go. You go to the Lord and, and, you, and you begin to believe in what he's done and say, Lord, I know my victory is there. Satan ain't going to say, oh, well, they know the answer. I guess I'm out of here. No, he's calling in reinforcements. He's going to call in all of hell himself. Every principality said they know the answer. We've got to do what we can now and get them off track because they now know the answer to abundant life. And guess what? You may fail several times, but if you don't quit, God won't quit to see to it that you're in a place of victory, to see victory in your life. Pharaoh, seven times, Moses had to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And it wasn't until that last time that they finally walked on out of Egypt. If Moses would have given up after the second time, guess what? They'd have been in Egyptian bondage. But he went back every time not doing anything but saying, let my people go. And letting the Lord fight on their behalf. The Israelites didn't fight their way out of Egyptian bondage, did they? The Israelites let the Lord bring them out of oh, Egyptian bondage. He has brought you out of bondage through what he did at Calvary's cross. You may be in bondage to sin tonight. You may have a problem in your life. But you're not going to fight your way out of it. 
You may love the Lord with everything within you. Spirit filled many may be that way and you're struggling. But until you hand this thing over to the Lord and you place it where it belongs at the foot of the cross, you will continue to be bound by that. Whatever it is. Because you can't do it. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ has died for nothing, Paul said. You can't do it. And when we realize that I can't do this and surrender it over to the Lord, Lord, here it is. I'm being honest with you because you already know about it anyway. I'm laying it down at your feet. Here it is, Lord. So do what only you can do. That's where you, he wants you to be. But it's not an easy place to get us to. Because we don't like to surrender. Because we think that, well, I can add something to it. I can add my own two cents worth into it. And think that surely, listen, the enemy only responds to faith in Christ and what he done. He doesn't respond to anything else but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we say it, there's power in the name of Jesus. Your victory is in Christ and what he's done. Your victory is not in anything that you can do. And that's why Paul here is saying in verse 3, Hey, do you not remember? Have you forgotten? You were baptized and it is dead. You was already set free there. What in the world's going on here? And that's the problem. We strayed from the cross and we've gotten ourselves back into bondage. Not understanding that you have victory the moment that you said yes to Jesus. Did you know that even though you might be failing, God still views us as victorious? Well, there's no way. You better hope that I'm right or we don't stand a chance in making it. Because he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. See, he sees us in Christ Jesus. He sees us as victorious. You are victorious. Well, I'm failing the Lord. You're still victorious in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you're victorious. The reason why you're not victorious is because you're trying to do it on your own. In Christ Jesus. And that's where we've got to rest. In him every single day looking to him and what he's done. And let me tell you, believe this. Put it to the test and you'll see it works. It's the only thing that works. And you'll see, and the Holy Spirit's making it known, you were already set free. There, listen, people trying to say, people says, well, I just need to be set free. You were already set free at Calvary. The answer is, do you, the question is, do you want to be made free? You're made free the same way that you were set free, by faith in Christ and what he's done at the cross. Amen. So moving on to verse 4, Paul tells us, uh, just as the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, even so we should walk in newness of life. Again, you died with Christ. You were buried with him, meaning all your sins were taken to the tomb and left there because they are attached to the old man. Amen. Ain't that good? Your sins are, were left in the tomb. When that old man was taken to the tomb and died, your sins were left there too. They didn't come up with the new man. You came up free. You came up free from the sin nature, from the control of the sin nature. It's there in the tomb. But guess what? It tries to wreak havoc. So don't be playing around in the graveyard. Get away from the tomb and start walking in the abundant life and in the freedom where Christ has made you free. He's liberated your soul. He set you free. Just as he told the woman in John chapter 8, go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. He didn't push her around. He said, go and sin no more. Because he has set her free. Because she evidenced faith in what he had done. Amen. So now you are victorious because the debt of sin has been paid for by our Lord and Savior who has given us victory over the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so now we don't have to succumb to the temptations. I'm reminded of that verse, 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 13, where it says uh, that there is no temptation and it's taking you such as is common to man. But with every temptation, he has made a way of escape. What do you think that way of escape is? It's the cross. Every temptation that comes to you, your way out of that temptation is through the cross. It ain't a new way. It ain't, your, it ain't this way for this one and this way for that one. No, it's one way and it's through the cross of Christ. Amen. So now my allegiance is to him. Your allegiance is to him. And instead of saying no to the same problem, start saying yes to Christ and his finished work. Now, why do we say that? When you sit around and you say no to sin, you're evidencing you're placing faith within yourself. 
When you say no to sin, I'm not going to do this anymore, you're looking to yourself instead of looking to him. Quit saying no to the problem and start saying yes to Christ and what he's done. You've got, you've got a problem and there's sin there in your life. You take it before the Lord and you ask for forgiveness, but start saying yes to what he's done. Lord, I accept what you did for me at Calvary. I accept it, that it's the only way, that it's the answer, that it was the defeat of my problem, that whatever it is I'm dealing with, that you already handled it at Calvary. See, it's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you're not going to do all of these things and think that you're going to earn favor by God and say, well, God now will give me the victory. That goes against the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that faith there is referencing Christ and him crucified. Without Christ and crucified, it's impossible to please him. What did he say when Jesus came up out of the river Jordan? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Enoch had this testimony. We see about it before the Lord says without faith. He had the faith of God. He pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Nothing pleases him. You can sit and deny yourself all you want to of, of pleasures, if you will. And it won't get you one thing from the Lord. See, growing up, you know, we were taught you couldn't have a TV in your home. You couldn't have this. Strip yourself of all the pleasures of life, and the Lord will surely give it to you. That's asceticism. You won't get anything from the Lord. You're just going to sit around miserable. You can sit in between four walls in your black suit and a black skirt, tucking your Bible up to your chest, and still be in bondage. Because your freedom is not in all of that. Your liberty is not in all that. Your victory is not in all of that. It's in Christ. He's not asking you to go out here and to be miserable. Just accept what I've done. Live in the abundant life of what I've done. And I promise you, you'll see the victory in your life if you apply it. I'm a testimony to it. I can tell you. Well, what was your problem? It ain't none of your business. Just like it ain't none of my business what you struggle with. The Lord knows all about it, but he don't remember no more because guess what? It's gone. It's up underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so last thing before we quit. So again, we walked in the oldness of death, brought on by the first Adam, but now you're walking in the newness of life that has been brought on by the last Adam, Jesus Christ, amen? So this means that your will has absolutely been made free. You're no longer a slave. Listen, walk in the newness of life. Like as Christ was raised up, we also should walk. Listen, he's saying here, you, you, your lifestyle is going to be different. Your lifestyle should be reminiscent as Christ was raised from the dead. It's impossible. You're not going to walk around like you did before. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. So my walk, my lifestyle is now being ordered by the Holy Spirit. And it's teaching me how I should walk, how I should talk, how I should dress, how I should love my enemy, how I should treat my neighbor. The Holy Spirit's going to deal with me on all of these issues because he's there to change my character. To make me more like Christ. Amen. So if all of this had taken place. Then absolutely again. The, uh, the will. The true believer. Will live out the same. Will not live out the same. Habitual life of sin. That he did before. So it's impossible for those. And we know them. That say they know Jesus Christ. They're a Christian. But yet they're as much as in sin. As they ever were. Before they made their confession. It's impossible, Paul said. You're not going to continue to live a habitual life of sin as before. You may struggle. You may have a problem. And it's because you don't understand where your victory was won. But you're not going to continue to be that same person that you was before because the old person is dead. So when you think about this baptism into death, you think about it. Your mouth was baptized into Christ. Your feet was baptized into Christ. Your hands were baptized into Christ. Your whole being was baptized into Christ. But now your hands ain't doing what it did before. Your mouth ain't talking the way that it was talking before. Your feet ain't going to the places where it was going before. Read Romans chapter 3. I think it's verse 10 down through 17. You'll see the wickedness. The Bible talks about how wicked the mouth is. The feet runs swift to do evil. All of these things you were before because you were wicked, defiled, and all of that. 
But that person who's dead, it's been baptized in him. It's there. So now, you know, your feet's walking right now. Now your talk's talking right now. Now your eyes ain't looking at the same things that it was looking at before. Because that's dead. The old eyes are there in the tomb. The old feet is there in the tomb. You've got new eyes. You've got a new mouth. You've got new feet. You've got new hands. And all of these things now are, are going to produce righteousness and holiness because that's the desire for holiness is there and it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be producing it all in you. Because the desire of the truly born again believer is for holiness. My desire is for holiness. Your desire is for holiness. So let me tell you something. Holiness is so much more than dress and apparel. Don't get me wrong. You're saved. The Holy Spirit's going to clean you up. He's going to teach you how to dress. He's going to teach you how to be modest. He don't need, you don't need nobody else to tell you how. You've got the greatest teacher of all living inside of you. It's not our job to clean anybody up and to go around and condemn. Let the Holy Spirit clean them up. We're to be fishers of men, not cleaners of them, amen? But the, that desire for holiness, that desire for more of him to be like him, and that's why you'll find yourself on your walk with the Lord, mm, I don't want to watch that anymore. You'll find the Holy Spirit said, don't, don't put your eyes on that. Don't go over there. Why? Because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, that all of the old members of your body is dead in the tomb. You've got new lips, a new tongue, if you will. Old tongue wasn't singing praises to the Lord. The new tongue is. Because it's a new tongue. Amen. All right, so verse 5 tells me that if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The likeness spoken of here carries the idea that there's a resemblance which amounts to the same identity. You see, you are in him, and he is in you, and royal blood is now flowing through you. So the character of you will now be reminiscent of Christ's character. So when you now see a fellow Christian, other people see you, they should see the attributes of Christ in you. Because you're in Christ. You're in Christ and he is in you. Amen. Amen. Last thing, Christ's resurrection was permanently delivered us. Has permanently, has permanently delivered us from the power of sin. I love that. Christ's resurrection has permanently delivered us from the power of sin. That's why he goes on to say, oh, grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is your sting? You've been rendered defeated. So it's permanently. You don't have to now go back and fight for victory. When he got up out of that grave, he purchased your victory. It's a permanent victory that you've got now. You were made victorious the day that you said yes to Jesus. And if we want to see victory, if we want to walk in abundant life, if we want to walk in, in victorious over the flesh, the world, and the devil, then there's one thing that is required out of us and one thing only. Place our faith solely in Christ and what he's done and don't move it. Don't move it. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be unctioned to try to move it over there. Don't move it. Lord, I believe in what you did, and I believe that it is enough. Let me tell you, the blood is enough. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It ain't Jesus plus my five chapters a day equals victory. No, no. It ain't Jesus plus my three days of fasting, fasting equals victory. No, no. It's Jesus plus nothing that I can do equals victory. Everything. Because the moment that you start placing yourself into it, it will always equal disaster. It will always equal defeat. But thanks be to God, we are victorious in Christ Jesus. We can walk out of here victorious today. And whatever it is that may be bothering us, lay it at his feet. Know that it was already defeated there at Calvary. Know and believe that you've already been set free. Amen. Amen. Let's just close out to the. Uh, uh, let's just close out in prayer uh, tonight, and we want to pray for you that are watching online. I don't know whatever you may be struggling with, those here in the sanctuary, but I just want to encourage you that if there's a problem within your life, if you're struggling with sin, I pray that something has been said tonight uh, that your eyes have been opened, uh, that there has been a true manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, to make you to realize that you were already set free at Calvary. So we're going to pray now, Heavenly Father.
Lord, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight that has come forth. Lord, we thank you, Lord, 10,000 million times over, Lord. And even then, it wouldn't be enough thanking you for what you did for us at Calvary, God. Lord, we know, Lord, that our victory was purchased at the cross and nowhere else. And Lord, I pray that, number one, you will forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for placing our faith in something else. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to obtain something that you've already won for us. God, forgive Forgive us for looking to another source, Lord. But God, I we believe tonight, Lord, we place our faith in what you've done for us at the cross, Lord. And we believe that we are victorious in you. And Lord, right now, God, we take whatever problem that it may be. Lord, whether it may be fear, whether it may be depression, Lord, whether it may be gossiping, Lord, uh, uh, temperance, Lord, whatever the problem may be, cigarettes, alcohol, whatever, Lord, it may be, God, we take it to you, Lord, where you defeated it at Calvary, Lord, where you triumphed over it, Lord, and we leave it there, Lord. And God, we take up your victory that you won for us, Lord, and we walk. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to continue to walk, to not give up, Lord, because we know that if we don't quit, Lord, you won't quit as well, God. Lord, we thank you for what you've done this night, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Lord, let us continue to walk in the abundant life from this day forward and what you died to give us, Lord, and we will forever give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. We thank each and every one of you for being with us tonight. Thank you of those that have watched. Uh, if you chimed in on us uh, halfway during the service, go back and watch from the very beginning, and we trust that it will be a blessing to you. Remember our service on Sunday morning at 1030 and Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and we want to encourage you guys to come out and to be a part of what the Lord is doing. Uh, we, we're so thankful for technology, so thankful for internet, but I can assure you that it is not the same as being here in person, so come and be a part of what the Lord is doing. If you need anything at all, reach out to us and let us know of how we can be a help to you and know that we're praying for each and every one of you. We love you and God bless.